episode 58 of Girl Mode. I am one of your hosts, Robin B. And I am your other host, Willa Rowe. And this week... Yeah? It's gonna be... I don't know. I feel like we've been really <laughs> jumping. I guess this is not this is not the episode to do this, but I feel like we have been like so quick about jumping into the topic that I don't have time to collect my thoughts lately. I feel like we need to ease people in more, just okay. with some you know what I mean? But then I thought <laughs> this episode is probably going to run the risk of being excruciatingly long so maybe this isn't the time to try that out yeah this is going to be our new longest episode which is I every episode that. ever because we're not talking about the x-men today so that there's true there's no really much chance of that happening um this is an episode that we have like spent all week telling each other like i'm excited to record this episode um this is i guess the second installment of what is what is uh, become, what what is now officially an annual tradition? So last year, our favorite games, uh, the other hadn't played last year. So for me, I was painfully obsessed with Stephanie, uh, and Willa was was equally feral for uh, Signalis, and neither of us had played the other game. And so we gave each other kind of the gift slash assignment to play each other's favorite games, and we would talk about them. And it, we had a really good time doing that. So we decided to do it again this year. Um, I think the difference this year is that, and this is something we've talked about a lot. Yeah. Like last year, it, it's so it's so funny. I think, I mean, to me, and I assumed I, to you as well, how much people are talking about like what a good year this is for games. And then meanwhile, there's us. <laughs> yeah. Most of the games that are like going into that equation are just not the kind of games that we play. Um, and I feel like it's been a somewhat lighter year for games that like we love. I would agree. I feel like last year was better for games that we loved. Yeah, like for a peek behind the curtain when we've we've been like planning this and like getting ready to do this for a while. And we've really spent a lot of time laboring over which games we were going to pick for each other because last year it was like so cut and dry because mm -hmm. it was like obviously our favorite game of the year is citizen sleeper um but there are two other games that we both loved that were just like so fucking good and we just had to have the other person play it so it worked out so well and then mm -hmm. also happened to be a really interesting conversation that had so much overlap Yes, I think that's my favorite part of that episode, which was yeah. like discovering that we both played like the Signalis was basically like the evil twin of Stephanie in many ways, mm -hmm. uh, which ended up being extremely surprising. Yeah, but now this year we were like, oh, we don't we don't really have a game, let alone more than one game that we're obsessed with that the other hasn't played really. Yes. So we kind of <laughs> we ended up with these picks. We need to put these picks, which is not to say that like we don't like these games. Mm -hmm. We just both have much more complicated feelings about these games than we did last year. Yeah. Where like I think last year we just like unequivocally like these are masterpieces. And this year we're like, these are interesting. So yeah, with that like completely deflating preamble, uh, <laughs> I guess we should say the games that we are playing are going to be. Uh, I'll I'll I guess I'll describe my game and then you can describe your game. I think that's how we did it last year. I don't know. Maybe maybe either of us should have re-listened to last year's episode. Yeah. Well, that would have taken 
45, like an, you know, an hour 45. Yeah. I don't have that kind of time. So yeah, I'll go first since we're going to be talking about mine first. Uh, but the game that I uh, assigned for Willa was Slay the Princess by Black Tabby Games, which is a visual novel. Uh, I guess I should say before I say anything else, like free ran on spoilers for both of these. So if you don't want to be spoiled on either of them, you know, it's going to happen. Slay the Princess is a visual novel where you uh, have the goal of slaying the princess you wake up in the woods there's a voice called the narrator that tells you go kill the princess or the world will end and then the game is basically you fighting with the narrator figuring out what you're doing deciding whether or not to slay the princess and things get considerably weirder the longer it goes on uh which you know we'll get into this in much more detail in just a minute but first uh willa what was your game Yeah, so the game I had you play was The Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood, which is, um, I would say, a semi-visual novel um, card builder, like deck builder game uh, about a witch named Fortuna who has been uh, given the sentence of being imprisoned for a thousand years in a, like, cosmic jail essentially which takes the form of a very very pretty little apartment kind of but anyways mm-hmm. and uh she was given this jail sentence because she can like read tarot cards and read into the future and stuff and she predicted or told the fortune that the coven she was a part of would like fall apart and because of that she was imprisoned and then she is a set amount of years, she's like into her sentence and she has started losing her mind a little bit. So she does like the worst thing possible and she summons this like creature called a behemoth to gain magic back and gain access to like making a new tarot deck. And then it's about talking to your other witches and eventually like there are intricacies of the coven and everything. And it's about basically like learning that story and also learning kind of more about Fortuna before and during this imprisonment but we'll get into all of that much later (laughs) yes Uh, i also want to say just off the top both of these games have some pretty heavy subject matter in them um so if you're going to play these games i would say check the content warnings on the games first uh because there's there's some pretty heavy stuff there i will go back and i'll put content warnings in our show notes if we touch on anything that you need to be you know, vigilant about because there's a chance we'd get into it, but maybe we won't necessarily need to. Who could say? Uh, that will be to, to be determined later. Um, but definitely, if you play the games, check that out because it, I don't want any of that stuff to come as a surprise for a game that people are playing, like because we talked about it. So, yeah, without further ado, why don't we dive in to Slay the Princess? Yeah. Um, so, I'm the one who kind of assigned this to you, and I've sort of written multiple pieces at this point about it. So why don't we start with your thoughts on Slay the Princess, just just generally. So Slay the Princess was very interesting because I was very interested by it like months ago when I played the first demo for it, a very early slice of the game. And I was like, this is very interesting. I'm looking forward to it. And then when it actually came out, I was like so busy that I didn't play any of it. And then you played it and you're like, you got to play this game. I'm going to make you play this game. And now I have played it. I think immediate. Should I give you like just immediate opinion on it overall? Yeah, just however we, however okay. you want to get us into this conversation. I think overall, I admire it more than I outright love playing it mm-hmm. or 
think it does a good job. There are some things I think it does a really, really good job at. And there are other places where I think it's fine at best. Uh Uh-huh. Well, yeah, let's get into them. Okay. I think the first thing to say is that, I mean, we love visual novels. So this isn't supposed to be like derisive to other visual novels, but like I am still so impressed by how like expansive and reactive and responsive Slay the Princess is as a visual novel. Visual novels as a genre like have so many different It's like a spectrum of like how truly interactive can it be and like what can the player do in the game. Whereas like a game like Misericord that I loved is literally just a progress the text forward, but you make no choices. Whereas Slay the Princess feels like such an extreme on the other end where it's like Mm -hmm. you are going through like obviously you learn early on that it's like a loop. There's a time looping thing going on here or like a you're going through different versions of the same experience. And the amount of options that I feel like are always available to you is wild. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the first things that struck me too, was like, not just in, because yeah, it is a game about sort of playing out different versions of the same scenario. So necessarily there are many, many ways that that scenario plays out and you can make choices to determine like in pretty like granular detail how each step of that goes. But even beyond that, like, at least for me, I spent my first like loop just kind of questioning the narrator and like fighting with the narrator about like, why do you want me to do this? Why do you think I'm just going to waltz in there and kill somebody? And just the num- like, the amount of things it has available for you to just like grill the narrator on. Like every question that I had and like every thing that I would think to say in that scenario was represented. There yes. was never a thing where it's like, oh, if I could just say this, it would make so mm-hmm. much more sense. That was always an option. Like those questions were always there. It was really impressive how like just from the start, you you have to scroll through all the options (laughs) that you can respond because there are so fucking many. But it's great because it is like you're saying, it's like, well, I actually have all those questions. And it's impressive to see a game thinking like actually how it was made that the writers had to be like, well, somebody's going to want to know this. Let mm-hmm. me put that as an actual option. And like, they're nearly all there, uh, which is incredibly impressive. And I also like, uh, so like, obviously the overarching thing that you find out about this game is like, you know, you're doing the loops and you're, you know, you go to the cabin and slay the princess or save the princess kind of thing is, is like the very basic binary of a loop kind of, but there's the detail beyond that, which is that really your first loop, like the first chapter, because it's always like the first chapter is the hero and the princess. Mm -hmm. Um, You do that. And then on your second loop, that's when you start seeing the actual changes. And that's where you have more of the like, where you're figuring out how to change things, because the narrator will respond a little differently. You have those like voices, because like, this game is so voice heavy first off because you have the narrator there's the voice of the hero and then every different loop you have a secondary voice like the hero has another secondary voice that's like the voice of you know the i can't think of any of them off the top of my head there's like the paranoid yeah is the i was the first one that i got so it's the one that i remember the most and then on top of that there's always the princess of course but every loop the princess is different 
Mm-hmm. And something I always looked forward to was every time you do another loop and you know the princess is going to be different, the first sign of it was always when you're walking down the stairs and it's however she first responds or like whatever mm-hmm. she first calls out. And I really loved that. Yeah. So yeah, like you're you're saying, there's sort of like two chapters to each loop, which is like, yeah, there's the one where it's kind of everything resets and you're just a person in the woods and the narrator's talking to you. and that you know you have to go to the cabin and slay the princess and the choices that you make like whatever you do you end up dying basically in that loop like you're Mm -hmm. gonna but you can make some choices along the way like how to approach it do you try to talk to her do you go down and immediately try to kill her do you you know walk away entirely and and leave like this whole situation behind and those choices determine what happens when the loop resets so if you were like all obsessed with like saving the princess you might the voice might be like in love with the princess this time if you just go out there and like stab her without saying a word you have maybe like a more vicious voice and she will also respond so when you reset the loop you remember the princess remembers but the narrator doesn't remember so the narrator is just telling you to do this thing as if it's the first time but i remember like the first time i got to the cabin after making that choice and she like she knew what had happened before and like called me out. It was like, Oh, you think you're going to, you're here to kill me again, huh? I was like, Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think that's really, I mean, that's a big part of like the sort of end reveal of the game. Like all that builds on like what's actually happening here. But I think that's also like fascinating in the way that it like shines a light on your behavior. Mm -hmm. Like it, it kind of, it confronts you with the way that you acted the first time. Like it sort of like throws your own actions in your face in an interesting way. Yeah. Um, I will say, um, I definitely agree, but there's something to be said for me of like, that only goes so far because of course, even if the player gets to know every loop and like you have as the player, the memory of being able to be like, I know every single loop. And it's fun to see the princess react on the like second chapter every time you do a loop. It gets she gets reset also, though, because like you always start over from, you know, square one with her eventually. Yeah. After the second. Yeah. Like reset. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which is. Yeah. I mean, which ends up becoming only so much that a game can do, obviously. But yeah. But I mean, that also ends up becoming the point of the thing. I I had a question for you, though. Uh How quickly did you just ignore the narrator and just not go to the cabin? Uh, almost immediately. Yeah. (laughs) It was probably like my second loop. (laughs) I remember literally the first time I played the demo like months Mm -hmm. ago and it started and the narrator's like, oh, you have to go kill the princess. And then I saw the option that was like, ignore him and just turn away. I was like, oh yeah, fuck that. I'm I'm just, I'm pretty sure I did that in the demo too. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I'm going to see how far this will go that I can just ignore it. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that actually, I think that's what kind of drew me into the demo, too, Mm because I, like, exhausted all, like, the questions, and I was like, oh, it's really interesting how much you can, like, fight with the narrator, and then I just walked away, and you get that weird scenario where it's, like, you just see, like, an infinite number of cabins, cabins, and you kind of, like, collapse reality, and I was like, oh, (laughs) I wasn't expecting that, okay, Mm -hmm. I want to play this game now. If If I had been reviewing this game, I think a thing that I would have, like, pointed out was... After a while, it does start to get pretty repetitive because that first stage of the loop, you're just trying to set things up to get a different princess. Mm -hmm. And so after 
I don't know, you did that half a dozen times or whatever, eventually you're kind of just like, okay, what options haven't I chosen yet? Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm curious about how this progressed for you. Like, because I feel like that was one of your, your sticking points too. Yeah. For me, the thing that I quickly got frustrated with is that as fun as like the different options are, there is a chunk of every loop that is kind of pointless which mm-hmm. is for me, it's the majority of the first chapter because the second you land in the forest with the narrator, literally after the like second loop, I just completely ignored the narrator and it would just be like, just beeline it to the cabin as fast as possible. There is no point doing literally anything else. Mm-hmm. Just get to the cabin. And then once you're inside of the cabin, then you are like, okay, last time I took the knife or didn't take the knife. And like, what do I want to try this time? But that first loop, can get so repetitive. And also uh, the thing that I specifically remember being annoyed by um, was that we talked about how there's so many goddamn options that you can ask the narrator and Mm -hmm. those never go away on like the first chapter. You can always ask those questions and ignore him and just go straight to the cabin is the very last option, (laughs) which made it so frustrating for me because I was like, that's all I'm fucking going to do really, because there's no point at this point asking him anything. So I just want to beeline it to the cabin. Please put this option at the top so I don't have to scroll through these dialogue options. Yeah, it does help that like that first chapter, like once you're kind of in speed run mode, you can do it in like one minute. So it does. It's like much less frustrating than it could be. But yeah, there is like, for me, at least there was definitely a point where the first few of those, I was very invested on like, ooh, what's going on? Where can I poke the edges of this? Mm-hmm. What if I say this first and then this first? What changes? And then after a while, you kind of switch into this thing of, I think after you get the first hints of what's really going on is when I started being like, okay, I it like changed my role as a player from being like a person who is like investigating this to a person who just knows that I'm here to make every choice possible. And that did like, that is less satisfying for sure. But I do think there is something interesting about that switch about the way, like, I think one of the things that Slay the Princess does really well is it plays with the, like the concept of um, player choice and of the character's choice and of the difference between you and your character. Because there's something really interesting in, from the first loop to the second, you're making choices that will change how the second loop plays out. And so you and the character are on the same level. You both want to get to see what else is possible, and you both want to try something new and find it. And then you get to the second loop, and you're still in sync. You're, you know, you're both discovering this thing together. Uh, So it's all still new information for you. But then when that second chapter of the loop resets, you go back to the start and your character is back to square one, but you've retained all of that, that knowledge. And so there becomes this weird sort of like narrative irony at certain points where like everyone kind of knows you and the character and the narrator and the princess at different times of the game also all have different amounts of information about what's going on. Yeah. And I just, I found that that constant breaking of you, you being in step with your character and then you knowing more than your character was, it was strange and disorienting, but also I found it kind of fascinating where there was a certain point where 
it almost feels like it's playing with the fourth wall in a way where like you as the player become another sort of like character in this this like little like drama yeah i don't know i just found something really interesting about that idea of like every person in this scenario has a different perspective on what's happening and for a game that's about you know how your perspective shifts so much like i found that interesting even if it was like it kind of keeps killing the momentum of its own story yeah so it kind of relies on you caring enough about each of these little steps to keep going Mm -hmm. i think we should probably at this point talk about like the the bigger like goal that this game is having because i think we need to get into that kind of stuff now yeah which essentially like you eventually reach the point where the first time you like actually save the princess and you get her out of the cabin is this wrong or well, there are different ways to in- interact with this like large character the first time. But like, essentially, as I understand it, and as I sort of experience it, you start to understand what's really going on. And like the actual end goal of the game is once you get a version of the princess out of the cabin, or like escape the first time and save her, she gets like absorbed by these weird f- hands. Um, mm-hmm. And you end up going into this like separate space called the long quiet. And you meet this like weird pseudo god like personification of something called the shifting mold. And she's essentially shifting mound. And she's essentially like, bring me different versions of the princess so that I can like break out of this cycle. And then that's why you like, you learn then that's why these loops are happening so that you can, you yourself as a, you know, hero and the character decide to be like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to find all the different permutations of the princess to accomplish this goal. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the, you know, the turn of the game. And then I have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah. What are they? Let's get into it. So there's another game that has two levels to it. Mm-hmm. Where you do something for a while, and then the game does a turn, and you find out it's actually about something else. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a lot like Slay the Princess, and that game is Immortality. Oh, okay. <laughs> and what I mean to say is that in Immortality, there is a game about finding out like what happened to all these movie productions and stuff, and you're just kind of like looking at the drama. And then there's the turn of being like, there's some weird supernatural semi-meta thing going on and that's Mm. what you're really kind of investigating and i don't like immortality and i don't like the turn in immortality i don't love the turn in slay the princess really why not really god we're gonna have to get into it a lot and this will be obviously like very long discussion that we're gonna be having but it's because i think that i think it start starts taking away some of the fun and you know, illusion of choice that is happening and the fun of discovering permutations. Because for me, at least, it became very much like it takes away even more choice on the player's part, in my opinion, because then it's very much formulaic of, I know I just need to find a way to get a different version of the princess in the second chapter and then just try to make all the choices that are correct to get her out of the cabin. 
and it becomes very formulaic, like chapter one, do something new, get a different princess. Chapter two, just get the princess out, get it. Mm. That princess goes to the shifting mound, repeat. And it loses some of the joy. And while in moment to moment, it's still fun seeing the permutations of the princess, it becomes more of like just work that you're being given than natural kind of discovery, uh, which was one of my big issues with it. So yeah, we can start with that. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I don't feel that way at all. I guess I don't know like what exactly... um... I can't remember the first time that I triggered like meeting the shifting mound and all of that. But for me, that's when I started to really like the princess. Because at first, she's kind of this like, you know, unknowable thing. She just like seems to be kind of a monster in disguise. And, and my kind of, I was like, okay, is this like about discovering like that she's you know, trying to figure out that she, what she's up to, what is she doing to us? And then you meet the shifting mound and it's just saying like, feed me different versions of this person. And so when I got to that point, I was like, what, what is this thing? Why is this thing toying with the princess in the way that the narrator is toying with me was like my perspective on it. Mm-hmm. And so from that point on, I was like, no, I need to see all the different versions of the princess because I want to find one that can like break out of this. Like I'm being asked to sacrifice this person and I am not cool with that. And so rather than just like going through the motions and trying to like see different ones to feed to the shifting mound, my kind of goal in the game became like, how can I team up with the princess to get us both out of here? Because there's like something that's going on that neither of us have control over. And I think if we work together, we can we can both get out of here. And so for me, the game became way more interesting at that point, because then it became this thing of like, I'm pushing against the narrator Mm -hmm. and I'm also fighting with the princess because she does want to kill me. But at the same time, I'm trying to help her against this other force that's trying to destroy her. So I don't know, it just became this really interesting story for me of like, how do I help this person who doesn't know that she needs help and who will hurt me if I try to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, and to figure out the mystery, like what actually is the shifting mound? What happens if it gets its way? So yeah, for me, like that just kind of made the mystery much more interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, and that obviously does raise the question of like when you're playing and you get to that point, it is like, you have so much more that you don't know what to do with because it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, I kind of know, I kind of thought I knew what the narrator's deal was. Maybe I don't quite as much. You still feel like a pawn as the hero. You then realize the princess is herself kind of a pawn. Like, you're not so different, she and you. Um, (laughs) And then the shifting mound is like, what the fuck is this? And then, of course, also there is the question of like, is the shifting mound actually bad? Right. Which is a big question that I think I thought about a lot. but. Well, I want to I want to actually talk about that real okay. quickly because I feel like my perspective on it was like maybe the shifting mound isn't necessarily evil, mm-hmm. but I do know that it is using this person as a pawn and 
I don't know anything else about what's going on. Maybe, you know, maybe the princess is doing something horrible and the Shifting Mound is trying to save us. But right now I know the Shifting Mound is the character with the most control here. And what it's doing with that control is hitting us against each other constantly and doing so without the princess's knowledge. Is and the so shifting... for me, I was, well, that was, I mean, that was just like okay. how I saw yeah, it. Yeah. And so for me, I was like, okay. I'm the only one who has the power to challenge the Shifting Mound. And because its intentions seem to be, if not malicious, at least like done without anyone else's consent and just they're like doing something to us, the Shifting Mound is going to be my enemy and the princess is going to be my ally until I like have further evidence to the contrary. Which obviously there is something to be said that I do like about the the way the game works before the turn of finding out mm -hmm. about the shifting mound of like, it kind of, at least in my opinion, did something interesting where it predisposed me to actually be more trustworthy of the shifting mound. And here's why. Mm. Um, because I say this jokingly a little bit, but also it's kind of true in how I played it. Like, this game is kind of was kind of weird for me to play from the start because like I immediately would save the princess because like, yeah, sorry that I trust women. <laughs> we yes, I, I feel like we both took similar, yeah. uh, had similar opinions of the princess, which is like, <laughs> oh, no, she's so strong and powerful and can wrestle me to the ground and stab me yeah also i'm like i'm not gonna fucking trust this narrator guy like i get th the game is very much like you know something's weird like the game totally. wants you to question everything and again obviously this whole game is about things are not what they seem and roles mm -hmm. are not actually accurate and there might not be good and evil like the princess is a princess, but she's also a monster. The hero is you. But if you look in, you see reflections of yourself and you're a very traditionally monstrous being, um, which I thought was kind of neat. Um, <laughs> so there's all these questions that about like what is good versus evil and can you trust anything? But the game, I think before you find out about the shifting mound very much kind of communicates with you. Like there is something that you can trust about the princess almost. There's almost a camar camaraderie there. There was yeah. one loop that I think about a lot, which I forget which one it is, but you can have a conversation with her and she says something along the lines of like, this is all about trust and the fact that we have none of it. There mm -hmm. is nothing in this world that should make you trust me. You have no reason to trust me and I have zero reason to trust you. But the only way that like we can get out of this is if we just like against our better judgment decide we're going to fucking trust each other. And yeah. like that almost feels like kind of a like a key thesis of a lot of this game. And I thought about that a lot once I did find out about the shifting mound because I was like the game wanted me to not want to help the pr princess or like the narrator wants you to not help the princess. Mm -hmm. But it's doing this thing of like the princess, obviously, to the player is like very traditionally like like a damsel in distress. So you kind of do feel like you can trust her. And then you learn that even with her monstrous, monstrous tendencies, you can kind of trust her or work with her in some way. Like mm -hmm. maybe she's not the big villain. And then when I met the Shifting Mound, I think it pushed that even further. But it already predisposed me to want to help people that are that seem like they could be evil because it was yeah. like, listen, she's a little bit even more monstrous looking than the traditional princess. But we've already told you kind of like that doesn't necessarily mean she's evil. 
and you should maybe think about trusting her more. So I was like really trying to hear the shifting mound out. I spent a lot of time like asking every question I could to the shifting mound. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's really interesting about like where the ways that it pushes your loyalty around where it's like, do you, what kind of cues do you look for to tell you who you can trust when it's clear that either everyone, everyone either doesn't have full information or just isn't sharing it with you. It's that thing of you're constantly sort of like bouncing between characters and being like, well, that seemed like an okay thing to do. And this seemed like they were on my side at this point, but then they did this and they betrayed me. I think it was maybe, it was probably the same cycle that you're talking about. But when I got to the thing about trust, there was one where like I had killed her the previous loop. And then I was like asking her to trust me. And she was like, you just came in here and killed me. And now you want me to trust you. And that was where it kind of, I feel like that was one that really helped build up my sympathy for her. Cause I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't know what to tell you other than like, I don't want to do that now. (laughs) I'm sorry that I've killed you before, but like, I don't want to have to do that again. Yeah, I don't know. It just plays with, with, or I, I at least felt that it played with me, my emotions in that way. You said at the very beginning, this is a, you, a game that you think you like respect more than you enjoy. I wouldn't say it, I, I'm the opposite of that because I do still like respect the game, but I really loved the experience of playing this game. Mm-hmm. I, st- I got the code and like started playing it one night and, you know, I knew it was like four hours long or so, I think by that point. And I played like, I don't know, maybe two hours. And by then I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to finish this game. Like, And playing it all through at one time was such a wild experience because it's constantly just throwing new information at you. Like, I just felt so hungry to like figure out what was going on and see it through that I like could not put it away mm-hmm. uh, after I started it. And I think part of it was because of that thing that you said where it's like, here's a new character, make a snap judgment about them here's a new character, make a judgment about them. And at the same time, everyone's also constantly changing. So you're like making those decisions over and over and over. And I don't know, there's something about that that just I found really, really gripping. Yeah, I I do agree with that. Um, And I think maybe now's the time to like shout out. I think the characters are really great. And a lot of that, I think, deserves praise for Jonathan Sims, who is the voice actor who does the narrator, uh, the hero, all the other weird secondary voices that the protagonist gets. And then Nicole Goodnight, who voices the princess and the the shifting mound and all those permutations. Uh, Although this is a a weird thing. Um, This is kind of a nitpick, which Mm -hmm. is I liked Jonathan Sims better and here's it's it's a there's there's a reason why which is so nitpicky uh nicole goodnight the princess talks a little too slow <laughs> oh, that's funny because <laughs> the text always appears on screen and mm-hmm. i can always finish reading the text faster than nicole goodnight's narration that's so funny but jonathan sims as a narrator his was like pitched like the pace was perfect uh-huh that that is very funny we talked a little bit about this when we were doing our um our game awards mm-hmm. picks like I, I you know i shouted both of them out and eventually ended up saying like nominate jonathan sims over nicole goodnight and i think like the what gives him the edge a little bit is like i feel like the more monstrous versions of the princess i didn't love as much from nicole goodnight like some of them felt a little like mm-hmm. i don't know if i went like out of her range or something because like when she was trying to be like more human absolutely loved the performance but the like the more out there it got, the more I was like, 
uh, it doesn't feel quite right. So actually, Zoe had a really great thing about this specific thing that we're talking Mm. about. So all credit to Zoe for saying this, but (laughs) she was talking about why she really liked Jonathan Sims' performance versus Nicole Goodnight's. And she said that Nicole Goodnight is trying to do different voices for every princess. Like she's Mm -hmm. trying to put on a voice. It's very much a voice actor's approach of doing like a different voice for a different character. Whereas when you listen to Jonathan Sims and the way he does every different voice, including the narrator, is that you can always tell it is very clearly just like Jonathan Sims. He's not even doing that much different with each voice, it's more of a like a slight intonation change. Or, yeah, like, it was all just, inflection. Yeah. It's all inflection. And um, the thing that Zoe pointed out is that Zoe is a very big fan of the Magnus Archives, which is the podcast that Jonathan, Jonathan mm-hmm. Sims does. And she pointed out how like that podcast is very similar about a lot of it relies on Jonathan Sims kind of like just having very, you know, small different inflections to communicate to the like listener that it's a different character even if you recognize it's the same narrator it's almost like an audiobook approach where when an audiobook reader reads something they're not like trying to fully do a different character they're just like i'm just going to do a little bit of a change just so you you can keep track um and that worked really really well for this game and was awesome for jonathan sims to do yeah yeah that's a really smart observation good job zoe (laughs) good job zoe Although it did really make me laugh. I think the one where he goes the farthest on is, I forget what he's called. It's like the gallant something. It's the one who's like in love with it. He's like, we're going to save her. We're going Mm -hmm. to be a hero. He just puts on a really like over the top kind of like fairy tale, like Prince Charming type of voice that like really (laughs) laid me out. It was so funny, that performance. Uh, I loved that. That also makes me think of the the i just want to talk a bit about the art style for this game which is it's all kind of like pencil sketch hashed you know black and white drawings and stuff there's like a very cool animation effect on there where it's just like it's everything's slightly moving a little bit it's like jittering Uh, it's it's in squiggle vision yeah (laughs) but then after like you know you get through like the first couple cycles you start to notice that like the princess is actually being drawn differently for every cycle and there's one like it's that one where she becomes just this like damsel in distress who's like in love with the prince and she's here to like let you save her she's this like very rough like child's drawing of a princess and i think that like that one really landed for me because it was like oh this is meant to represent someone who is just conforming to another person's wishes like she's not a full person she's just what you want her to be and that really like locked something in for me that i hadn't really gotten into that point about what the game was doing where it's like your actions dictate what you want the princess to be and then in that second cycle she becomes that Mm -hmm. and so if you are like oh we need to save her she becomes this kind of one-dimensional you know sort of thing to be saved and then her her style gets rougher i just felt that that was like such a wonderful way to like subtly get across one of the the sort of themes of the game and like of, of what is really going on is like feeding you different not just different performances but different visual representations of who this person was i do think we should talk about actually like it's very basic and we didn't really talk about it but i think there's something interesting to be said of how it then feeds out to the actual like bigger things but what the narrator says you're there to do like from the very mm-hmm. beginning he's like you need to kill this princess or else the world is going to end 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's very weird because you just, it doesn't feel that big. But then I feel like as you actually start finding everything out more with the shifting uh, mound and everything, it's like, what does this actually mean? Yeah. And like, what is everybody's role in it? Yeah, because you go through these cycles and like you come back. So it's like, well, what did that mean that the world ended then? Or or did it? Or like, you know, is he lying? Or And yeah, and then it kind of gets into that idea of like, well, the world did end. You're just in a different one now. Mm-hmm. But also then the way you kind of learn that, well, it's like the world, quote unquote, ending all these times, every loop, in a way doesn't even fucking matter because this isn't, it like starts telling you, well, this isn't even like the real world. This just has an impact on like a reality outside. Yes, but those worlds are also real. Like yes, they do go to never, pains to tell you like. But we never see anybody else who populates no. them. It's just the princess and the hero. Yeah, I think that's actually really interesting that mm-hmm. you don't see the It's just you just have to like take the word for it and like internalize what that means. That like whenever this happens, a world is ending and like they're not going to show it to you. Uh, I think that really feeds into the ideas of like trust and of like who matters, which kind Mm -hmm. of starts to come in where it's like, well, okay, if this princess is resetting every time, is it actually okay if I just kill her? Like, does it does it really mean anything? Or when I die, does that mean anything? And I think that's like that's one of the things that really kept me captivated, I think, because it never just it doesn't really sit you down and go like that was bad or like this is. This is the heroic thing to do. Like, it just kind of lets you sit with that weird ambiguity of knowing that, like, you're hurting people, like, no matter what you choose to do. I don't know. I just found that really, like, really compelling. I don't know if I did. Like, I don't Mm. I don't feel that same kind of trust for the game to be like your world is ending, because at least from what I textually am trying to understand, the more I get on with it is that. A world, quote unquote, ends, but what does it really mean by a world? It almost feels like, uh, to use like weird language from like other medias and stuff, it's like a pocket dimension almost, as far as I kind of get it. Mm -hmm. Because there's no other people there. And then we need to start talking about like the bigger things is like, you're all inside this thing called the long quiet. The shifting mound is trapped inside here. The narrator's kind of in a way, a jailer of sorts, but one who doesn't mm-hmm. fully even have full control over everything. And that yeah. all of this, what this all comes down to really has nothing to do with, or not nothing, but the true impact isn't on this world that the princess and you are within. It's upon a world outside, which is the whole thing that is happening between the shifting mound and the long quiet and the narrator. Yeah, let's 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 break that part of it open now. I think we we've gotten to the point where we can't yeah. talk around it anymore. Um, do you want to dig into this or do you want me to? Uh, you go. <laughs> okay. I replayed the the ending last night to like refresh myself. So I feel a little more confident than I would have if I hadn't done that in describing what's really going on. So once you've kind of like done this this loop enough times and met the shifting mound and like met different versions of the princess you eventually get to the point where a mirror starts appearing in the cabin after a while. And every time you try to interact with it, it breaks and you just you just can't get through it. And then once you've like done all these loops enough, 
you get to go to the mirror and you get to interact with someone who's like in the mirror. And the person in the mirror is the narrator. And what the narrator tells you is that the narrator describes himself as an echo. So what it really turns out to be is all of the princesses are all parts of the shifting mound, which the ne- the narrator, a.k.a. I almost said the Neko, the narrator, <laughs> a.k.a. the Echo, has intentionally shattered into pieces because what the shifting mound is, is the a god of transformation, a god of moving from one state to another, of chaos Surprise. and of change. Slay the princess is just a trans allegory. Listen... <laughs> If you give me a game and you tell me it's you about get to transformation. Choose, yeah, you get to choose whether to mm-hmm. halt transformation in order to bring about a utopia or to let transformation keep happening in the face of suffering, you know what choice I'm going to make every yeah, single time. Absolutely. Which is yeah, which is what's revealed. It's it's the shifting mound is a god of transformation. They also say like one, death. Yes, one part of transformation is death. Mm-hmm. You things must constantly change and one form of change is decay. And so the narrator was able to break the uh shifting mound into these scattered pieces, uh but also like kind of trap himself in here as the echo. And at the same time he sort of created you and you are the long quiet. And the long quiet is a god who he created to be with the power to kill the shifting mound. And so what's really been happening here is that he wants you to destroy all of these incarnations of the shifting mound in order to kill death itself and bring about this world where no one will ever die and everything will be in like perfect stasis forever. And he reveals all of this in like a series of there's a kind of a cool part at the end where like you you see him as a shattered mirror with a crow or like a raven reflected in it. Yeah, this was incredible. Actually, I love this. Yeah. And you have like, like you've been getting all this time, all these questions you can ask, probably dozens of questions. But every time you ask one, a little piece of the mirror shatters. And there's only like, I don't know, six of them or something. So you have to like really choose which questions you want to ask before it gets to the end. And then when it gets to the end, you choose like the last thing you can say to the narrator is you can either say like, there's like a bunch of options actually, but you only ever choose one of these. And it's, you can tell him, okay, I'm going to kill the princess. Or you can tell him, okay, I'm going to kill the prince, the princess parentheses lie. Or there's one that tells him like, I'm not sure what to do yet. There's one that's like, I want you to know I'm not doing this. Like all of this has been for nothing. Like I'm going to like thwart your plan. There's like it's just such a cool choice to like you've been trying to figure this person out this whole time and like battling with him and he finally reveals what he is and you can like kind of tell him to like fuck off as you basically kill him yeah so this like we'll talk about this later but when i when i did this moment i was like oh my fucking god cosmic wheel oh yeah oh yeah which we'll talk about later. But yeah, when I was given this option right at the end with this character that I had such a divisive relationship with, and then you're given the option at the end to be like, let's lay it all on, lay it all out and talk about shit. And then the last options mm-hmm. you're given, I was like, yeah, fuck you. Bye. 
Yeah, I did the same. I was, yeah, I did the, the, the one that was the most harsh. That was like, I just want you to know your plan sucks yeah. and I'm not doing it. And you just wasted all this yeah. time. Also, like not to like, you know, go too much to the cosmic wheel, but like on the idea of the tarot and stuff, the whole thing with the shape with the shifting mountain where I was like, it is transformation. It is death. I'm like, I know a bit about tarot. Like the death card is not bad. Yeah. It is change and change is necessary. You cannot have things without it. Yeah. Which is to say. I mean, that's, so, so I think we, that probably hints that we both made the <laughs> same choice in the end then. Yeah. So, well, maybe actually. Yeah. So I full on, like I talked to the shifting mound and I was kind of like, yeah, let's, let's, let's break you the fuck out of here. Well, oh. so the, let's, I mean, I do want to talk about that final okay. thing mm-hmm. though a bit, which is that like when you, you meet up again with the shifting mound and there is one of the coolest bits of character design fucking i love this the the design of this character it's the princess but it's like surrounded by different bodies of the princess and like the hands and then she has multiple faces that are all the ones that you saw yeah i love the like writhing hands around Mm -hmm. it's like it almost looks like flame or like waves are crashing around here or something Mm -hmm. just these hands constantly moving it's really really gorgeous and creepy image but the final encounter is her basically like telling she is trying to convince you to let her out which you know at this point means this universe will die and death will continue to exist and the shifting mound will continue creating and destroying worlds forever Uh, and to break out with her like at this point you are like basically if you want to you can be fully on her side and the two of you can like bust out of here and live out this cycle of like death and rebirth over and over but before you get there the way she's trying to convince you is different sides of the princess that have appeared throughout your journey will come and tell you like here's what you kind of gained from me killing you here's why death should continue to exist because you learned all of these lessons and you grew in all these ways because of our encounter and if you are going to destroy me that means these lessons can no longer be learned. You're taking those from the world. It's not as like quite as, doesn't say it as didactically as that, but it's clear in your conversation. They're trying to convince you of the value of each of these things that they represent. Whether it's like one of them is ego, like the one like where she is like trying to dominate you. There's one that's basically just like the, the value of horrific violence and like fear and all of these kind of like negative emotions that are associated with her. It's like, telling you the ways that you become stronger by encountering them. And I just found this whole sequence, like it, it was very confusing, but also just like really thrilling um, just to have all of these conversations about like this, I don't know, all of these horrible things happening and like the value of uh, growing through like adversity, basically. Uh, I just, I really love this part. You want to know something? That's that's cool and all. Uh, the second she started talking, I was like, yeah, say no more. I'm on your side. I don't need you to convince me. I was like, let's go. Hell yeah. Because so you, like, did you like not do that sequence at all? I did like two of them. And I was like, oh, you're just going to do this like five times. Girl, I don't need it. I'm like on your side already. Like, let's let's get you the fuck out of here. Let's bounce. OK, because like, I mean, frankly, OK, I, I want to hear what you did. And then I kind of want to give you a big, big like thing about my kind of overall takeaway from this game. Well, okay. Why don't you why don't you tell us your end again? Because we did actually uh-huh. make different choices then. I basically was like, cool. 
I'm totally on your side. I think, you know, you and I, we should get the fuck out of here. Let's break out of this. I think the narrator was fucking wrong. Let's just get you out. Like the world needs death and transformation. You don't Mm -hmm. need to try to convince me with these different versions of the princess. So I just was like, yeah, saying literally there's like an option to be like, cool. I believe you already. We can go. And so I did that. Mm -hmm. And then we just broke out. That's kind of how it ends. And I was like, neat. So there's another option, which is so one of them is you can you can kill the princess. Uh, and if you do that, you you know succeed in your goal. You've ended death, and you create like a deathless universe. There's a third option, which is if you listen to her enough to enough of these characters, but don't like let them convince you that she should be freed. You can kind of try to convince her that that's not the way to do it, but that you don't want to kill her because you don't want to like you don't want death to not exist and change to not exist. And so you can get to a point where the, you basically can say to her, like, you are, you are trying to change me, but every time I try to change you, you refuse. Like, you are not abiding by, like, your own self. Like, you, you are not willing to listen to me in order to let me change you. And if you do that, you are able to, uh, the, like, the voice of the hero comes back and actually brings you back to the cabin, where it's, it's basically telling you, like, with all of these like different aspects of herself merged as one, you just can't get through to her. She's too about her own thing. She's too much convinced of her own righteousness. So you need to be able to talk to her like as a person to like try to reason with her. And so you're taken back to a cabin where you have a version of the princess. She's not like shifting mound form. She's just like that first princess. And you can talk to her and you're like, listen, I don't want to kill you, but I also don't want to just like have you rampantly destroying universes and the, the sort of like other way you can take this conversation, which is the way that I took it is I don't want, I want you and I to like be together. Like I want us, I don't want to lose you. And so there's an option you can take, which is you like the way that you figure out around this is back in the cabin, back as like your own, like sort of mortal forms you can let the princess kill you, which will just restart this cycle all over again. And so you can agree with the princess, let's just keep doing this. Because as long as we stay in here, the world just remains as it is. Like people keep being born and dying, and everything remains normal. And we will just be locked forever in this thing of like, like sort of circling each other and like, fighting and learning like you know each other's sides and forgetting over and over and over again you can choose to like give the princess the knife and let her stab you uh and there's a final like choice to make of what you can say uh and one of the choices which is the choice that i made is uh you can say i love you and then she stabs you and then which is very hot and then it blacks out and you wake up in chapter one again you're in the forest, the narrator tells you the same things, and you just, whatever option you pick, it just then sends you to the credits. And I was like, I love that ending so much of just this idea of like, I don't know, choosing to just like let the world be and continue to like be with each other. Like, because that was, I, I was like continuing to play this character, as I was saying before, as someone who was like convinced that the princess was like a victim in this as well. And by seeing all of these different sides of her started to actually like love this person 
And the choice that I wanted to make was the one that would let us continue to be together. Uh, and I really liked that there was an ending there that like lets you, I don't know, kind of live in this weird metaphysical conundrum forever. Can I argue something about why I personally don't like that ending? Sure. My thing about it is I feel like that doesn't understand the context of the story in a way, because you're choosing to focus on the princess and you as these people entrapped, but it ignores that the shifting mound was imprisoned. Like the world that you're letting exist out in the world is not the world as it should be. It is the world as it is changed by the narrator. Yeah, that's actually not okay. Sorry. true because they do explicitly say that like while you are in this loop, mm -hmm. like death continues to exist. You're not, it's not that like you're in like what they call the construct, yeah. which is like where you're in the cabin. So the, the like transformation and death and change mm -hmm. is still acting on the world while all this is going on. So with, by continuing the loop, the world does continue to exist as it was before. You're just keeping the construct in intact. Hmm. Okay. I don't know how much I understand or believe this. <laughs> okay. And then also you said something about like liking, like learning to love these sides of the princess. It's a, it's, there's something weird here because the princess. It is. There is something weird here. Is, can be read as a person, but these sides of the princess are all just parts of the shape of the shifting mound. Why can't you just mm -hmm. love the shifting mound for who she is? That is hypothetically the, the epitome of knowing all of the princess. Kind of, but I mean, you also are like transformed. I get, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I get that. I just like, I, I prefer the ending where you just remain as people as opposed to gods. There's something I really like about like the, I don't know, the doomed quality of it where it's like, because they all, they are also real people. Like, I, I think that's the thing is like, you have to see them as both fractions of a person and real people. And I think like, if you don't buy that, then that's not going to be satisfying for you. But I think for me, I do buy them as individuals as much as they are parts of this greater whole. Mm -hmm. And I think like, when it came down to it, like these two versions of the long quiet and the shifting mound, they are the ones that like loved each other and they want to be together. I think they all like, I think the thing is like that they all work. I think it's like something that you actually talked about last year with Signalis, where it's like, it's not like you have a fake ending and a canon ending. Mm -hmm. I think it's like you have endings that are all complete. And I think these are all complete endings. I don't think any of them are false. Yeah. Like, I think it's just about, like, I mean, it's about the choices that are made. Like, mm -hmm. they're all valid choice. I mean, I think the, the one to, like, kill death is, like, maybe the closest to, like, the bad ending. But I think there is, like, it's kind of whether you see the god forms as more real than the, like, fractional forms. And in my case, I don't. Mm -hmm. Now, I just want to tell you my overall thought is the thing. I have a big problem with this game about why it leaves me cold in a lot of ways, which is that I do think it gets to be a point where we've been talking about a lot of like all this overarching things that are happening at the end with the shifting mound and like the long quiet and everything. And this whole thing about like transformation, death. How does this affect the real world? I think this game gets to a point where 
it's doing so much on this like large level on this like high tier level and it becomes so so focused on just this like these themes and it becomes obsessed with them to for me for me it gets to the point where everything becomes this theme and then it by that happening it all kind of means nothing though for me i come away from this game at the ending kind of being like after having this all come down to like this huge discussions of the long quiet and the shifting mound and the narrator i kind of come away cold being like none of this this is all supposed to matter so much and yet it makes to me it feels like none of it really matters it's so obsessed with trying to communicate import like it being important that it it makes it all seem not actually like none of it really does matter to me hmm. and i come away is it cold. like the abstraction of it that i makes think it, it gets way? way too obsessed with the abstraction that it just kind of leaves me being like ah it's i can i see what it's going for i guess but i think it just becomes so obsessed at the end with these like more high level end like themes that it's just kind of like it takes away from a lot of the joy and what what was good in the earlier parts. And I've just kind of come away being like, okay. Yeah. I feel like exactly Mm -hmm. the opposite way. I, this, I'm actually kind of reminded of our discussion last year of Stephanie now. I know. Where I love that like frenzy of theme. I, I love that idea of just the way that both like both like this game with like that end sequence with the shifting mound and Stephanie with the like diorama mm-hmm. sequences just dives so hard into like the realm of just like pure idea and abstraction and and feeling and like I really love it when games and or like any kind of media does that where like it feels like for you maybe it's like plot has more like it it needs to have like a a plot with like you know, a semblance of reality happening, like to, to like connect to characters in that way. Whereas I kind of prefer, I don't say, I wouldn't say prefer, but I, I do like things that leave all that stuff behind and are just purely in the, the realm of like the metaphysical and like, don't make any, like, don't need to make any sense, like logically and don't have a connection to the real. Like, I find that diving into very unresolved ideas to be really interesting. Like, I think there's a, like, there's a definitely a complaint to be made about this game that, like, a lot of things are, don't feel resolved and don't feel like they are made tangible. And I just think that for me, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I kind of prize the experience of that over, like, the completeness of a story being told. I would agree. Here's the thing. I agree that I do like games that can pull that off. My thought is that I just don't think Slay the Princess pulls that off. And... Mm. There's a larger takeaway I have about how Slay the Princess fits into a lot of, into the same way I felt about a lot of games this year, which I think I'll talk about when we get to Cosmic Wheel. But the thing, the last, honestly, this is the last thing I feel like I have to say is my big takeaway on why I would argue that I can like a game that tries to do what Slay the Princess does, but I just feel like Slay the Princess isn't that for me, is that there is a game called Elsinore that I have told you about before and that I mm-hmm. I bought for you so that you can play it. I was thinking a lot about Elsinore when I finished Slay the Princess and I had this takeaway that it is to me 
Elsinore does everything Slay the Princess is also doing. It just knows how to actually pull it off in the end. And it has an incredibly satisfying ending that I think is way more meaningful in how it wraps up these themes about like everything you're talking about. Like it gives you the options of like, you can stay in this kind of cycle of misery if you want. You can break out in these weird ways. You ha- you can learn how to live with any choice, even if it is not a perfect choice. I think Elsinore was really interesting for me having experienced that game before playing Slay the Princess and being like, I see so many similarities, even if they're doing them in slightly different ways. And I think Elsinore pulled it off better for me. I guess I'll have to actually play yeah, Elsinore. Which now. is to say, I think <laughs> at some point, I would love to get your take on Elsinore and it might end up being, which is very possible. It might be a situation in which they are so similar in some aspects that whichever one you play first is the one that you like more. Maybe, Which yeah. I will have no way of knowing unless you play Elsinore, but um, yeah. It, yeah, so that's kind of... I think I should away. definitely play it now because mm-hmm. I will I'll be interested to see how I feel about that. Yeah, because for me, it's like... It's not that I think Slay the Princess is like a perfect game or that like wouldn't have you know, wouldn't have worked if they had done any of those things. I just think this is the choice they made, and I think they pulled it off. The decisions they made work perfectly for how this game plays out. I do also kind of wonder if my having played it at once and you playing it over staggered sessions contributed some to that too. Because for me, it was just like, I think it was able to build those themes a little more coherently, like played in one session. Whereas if you're like pausing between sessions, it's not like the kind of like emotional weight has a chance to like be released as you take breaks. Maybe. Because I think it is a game. I think it is like largely emotional and not about like I was saying, like logic and like, you know, the like a, a traditional notions of like character and plot. Like it is the living through it more than the like understanding the plot that I think works for me. And so I wonder if it was helped by me just sitting down and like blitzing through it. Possibly. Sorry, my cats are like wrestling yeah, in their ca- litter box Your cats right now. are going crazy. I don't know why they do this. They mm-hmm. have two litter boxes, but they choose one and they just fight in it. Mm-hmm. Horrid little creatures. Yeah, I don't know if I have any parting thoughts on this game. I think it's real good. <laughs> I read about it twice. I think it's <laughs> worth playing. I do think people should play it. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I do know about it. What I, it's one more thing to say, which is I was looking at the uh, as I was like replaying the ending last night, I saw the Steam page on the Steam page that they are now working on like basically a director's cut of this game where they're adding more like scenarios and stuff where they were like, this game did a lot better than we expected. So we can basically put some stuff in that we planned to and didn't get to. So that's going to be coming out at some point. Enjoy. If you like say the princess or haven't played it yet, you have that to look forward to. Let's talk about the cosmic wheel sisterhood. Yeah. I don't think I've really written about my overall thoughts on this game, but I still think you should start since I started for Slay the Princess. And okay. Yeah, I think the central conceit of the game, I guess the central like mechanical conceit of the game is that you are building a new like divination deck 
like you, you know, as, as we talked about in your intro to it, like you are this like divination, witch, and in order to like try to find a way out of your exile, you start crafting a deck to replace your tarot deck. It's, it's a new type of divination card that you are creating yourself. And the way that plays out is that like you're given a set of sort of three attributes to choose from, to make your own cards. So you can like, there's like a sort of a location, a central figure, and then a kind of looser theme you can connect that to. And you choose those three parts, which give you different like visible visual elements, a background, a character, you know, other like accessories for them. And then you just build your own like little tarot card in this little like, you know, Microsoft paint ish program where you're just dragging and connecting things together. And then the elements that you chose, you know, cause it is like a divinatory thing. It's not like extremely clear, but they all have these kind of themes and the elements you chose kind of dictate the meaning or the possible meanings of the card. So some might be like omens of disaster and some might mean, you know, a chance for renewal and some might mean judgment and then throughout the course of the game, you have people start to come visit you. You can't like leave your prison, but you've been allowed to receive visitors. And each of these visitors will, over the course of your conversation, have some kind of conflict going on that they want you to read their the cards for them. And so you draw random cards and you can assign them to different sort of things they're asking for. So some people might ask, I want to know who is a person who's been like secretly acting against me and what should I do about it? And what's the predicted outcome? And you can sort of assign the cards that you chose to represent each of those concepts. And then you can choose a reading for each of those cards. So there's a very interesting thing of like many different ways of making choices. So like the choices that you make as you build your card are these very like abstract choices. And then in the readings, you're making kind of more concrete choices uh, that, that steer both like your relationship and the larger narrative. And I think that's a really interesting concept. Um, and also, I think it's just a really interesting story to begin with. Like, you're Fortuna, this woman who has become a witch. You There's like this whole like magical, you know, society going on that you don't really see as the player because you're locked away. But she kind of has hints of, and you're also getting flashbacks to like her mortal life. I think the thing that really struck me the most was like, as you start to receive more and more visitors, how much I liked so many of these characters kind of what you were saying i think the characters in cosmic wheel are great like most of them are incredible they're so fascinating i think the writing in this game is really really good something that i will say that i think is shocking is i find the world of of cosmic wheel fascinating like this witch society among the stars and i think it does a shockingly great job of kind of really portraying that world as a like real living breathing society with issues and people in it despite only getting it from within a single location i kind of want to like go back to the very beginning of the game because there's so much that happens early on that i really really love which is well yeah to talk about the world which you mentioned i think one of the things that it does really well with that is introducing elements of like what's happening in the world without doing any kind of hand holding like this is this is what the coven is this is what they believe mm-hmm. it'll just bring you like random people from across the world and then there's there's suddenly like this spider lady who tells you about like her how her magic works and you meet the like jade sculptors who use like the power of these like stone of these you know jade carvings to influence things it just it does a really good job of just like 
people speaking very matter-of-factly about these really fascinating things. And so you kind of just get to internalize them as just sort of normal goings-on without having to be like, you know, it doesn't kind of present them as strange in any way. It's just sort of like the world is just there and you kind of absorb it at your own pace, Mm -hmm. which I think is a really good way to go about something like this. But like to talk about kind of very from the beginnings, there's so the way this game starts, I really, really love just kind of how the whole game is centered around this like beginning, which is, you know, Fortuna was a fortune teller. She had a tarot deck in her coven. She predicted the fall of the coven. Therefore, the head of the coven imprisoned her for a thousand years. And this starts 200 years in. And she summons a behemoth, which like in the world of the witches is the worst thing you can possibly do is to like collude with a behemoth. And the way the deal is struck is that he basically is like, let's make a deal that I will help you get your magic back. I won't give you a tarot deck, but I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to let you make your own divination deck, which is then how the mini game comes in of like building your cards. And then the way the game first starts is you have to go through and you do the four seals which is you have to like bind your deal through seals associated with all four elements of magic, air, earth, fire, and water. And you have to like, this was so like fascinating to me because this impacts everything else, which is like, you have to talk about, do you want to be, how do you want other people to like see you? Do you want them to respect you, fear you, pity you? Um, Which (laughs) I chose pity. (laughs) I don't know what that says. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it just like, it goes on like this until the most important part, which is the last seal, which is, he says, um, Abramar, this like behemoth is essentially like, you have to give, you have to give up something forever in order to make this deal work. And the, the, the options are you have to give up your immortality because witches are immortal. You can give up the coven or you can give up the like life of the person you love. What did you choose? So I... (laughs) And I think this relates a lot to how you then, you as a player, view Fortuna and play her. So there is that, but I'm just, yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Here's the thing. (laughs) There was a demo for this game. And I played that demo, you know, played through a couple of times, like making different choices and seeing what was going on. And what I ended up finally doing in the end was choosing to sacrifice the coven. So like you, the whole thing is like, you know, you're, you've been, you've been sent into exile by the leader of the coven. So for me, I was like, oh yeah, I would like hate this person and just want to see the coven fall. So I was like, you know, playing the normal game, like with that kind of in mind. And then at some point it became clear to me that somehow I ended up like picking up a different save that i had left with the demo or something because someone mentioned at some i think it must have been abramar at some point mentioned that i would be giving up my immortality and i was like oh i don't remember that being the choice that i made but i guess that's the choice that i made which does definitely impact things i think it also ends up sort of revealing one of the my big problems with this game also, mm-hmm. I think so. We've talked about this. I think you did. You also choose immortality. I believe we talked. Yeah, about Yeah, I chose immortality because, like, the way I played Fortuna, um, which I think the game kind of supports somewhat, is I played her as someone who, you know, despite being an immortal witch, she has been two hundred years in 
exile alone. And she's kind of um, gone a little crazy at any cost. She wants to be free of this burden. Um, She wants to have her magic back. She wants to not be in imprisonment. And for me, I was like, even at the cost of him, her immortality, she will do this. Even if it doesn't logically make sense, because why mm-hmm. would she give up her, her immortality? Because like she'll fucking now be dead before her, you know, sentence is up. And she could have just waited out her sentence. But I played her mm-hmm. as someone that was like, at all costs, I needed my freedom. But yeah, I chose immortality. Yeah. Which I will say, I think the game did something really, really great that I really loved immediately after you make this big decision. Uh, And this is something that I think the game does for a really long time very well of being like, it makes you make decisions that feel weighty. And then it immediately kind of makes you feel guilty or like question if you should have done that. Because Mm -hmm. for me, something I really found really clever is you make your big decision about giving something up and essentially you're turning your back on everything. Then the first thing that happens after that is like the witch cop shows up and she's (laughs) like, she essentially visits you and she's like, oh, by the way, it seems like there might be something wrong with your case. This seems a little weird. Anyways, we're going to let you start seeing people again. And we're going to start trying to work on your case to like get you out of here. And at this point, me as Fortuna was like, you couldn't have shown up 24 hours earlier. And I kind of love that. I think this also, yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting, but I think it also like that thing does lead into like what I saw as some of the problems with the game, which is like, not to get into it yet, I guess, but at a certain point you become very invested in the future of the coven. And I think there could have been some room to play with the idea of like, in some way, like Fortuna doesn't know the full cost she's going to have to pay or doesn't understand the real implications of it. Because at a certain point, I would have, I feel like I would have appreciated the kind of dramatic irony of me knowing how this was going to end without her knowing it. Because... I mean, I was, you know, thinking that I was playing as someone who sacrificed the coven, even though I apparently decided to do immortality. But at a certain point, it became clear that, like, all of the choices that I was making to determine, like, the future of how things turned out would end up not really actually meaning anything because of that choice, because of that sacrifice. And so there was a large part of the game where I was just like, the first choice I made kind of invalidates everything I'm doing now. and. I kind of wish that there had been more tension between what Fortuna knew because like I I just couldn't see Fortuna caring too much about these choices or at the very least I couldn't see her telling someone like hey there's like some serious shit you need to know about what's happening here. That's that's really interesting because I really actually liked this um that I think for me it was essential that Fortuna knew what she was doing at the beginning because to me, this is the idea that like everything has a cost in like magic. You have you pay a price. And Abramar is incredibly upfront. He's like, you're making this thing, you're making this deal, you have a cost. That cost will I will come collect. I think what I like about this game only works if Fortuna knowingly the whole time is like, I paid a price. Even if for me, that was her immortality, she still was invested while she was alive in trying to like 
make the world around her better for like the her friends, any people she loved, and like the coven itself. Yeah, I mean, I guess this applies to more the the sacrificing the coven choice mm. because then it's like you know that all these things you're doing are going to amount to nothing. I think what I was like kind of wanting was like her to make the choice willingly and then, you know, for Abomer to like take that knowledge away or something. Mm. So it's not taking away her agency of taking away the choice, but the fact that she was going through all these motions, knowing how it was going to end just kind of made everything fall flat for me because I was like, well, none of these are going to matter in the end. And again, it's like a weird situation because I ended up not making the choice that I thought I did. Mm -hmm. So I did end up like sacrificing immortality. But the whole time I was thinking like, well, okay, if you sacrifice the coven at the beginning, there's a lot of this game that like is basically invalidated by that choice. I don't know. I disagree because I think it's about then a lot of this game is about figuring out what does telling a fortune actually mean and like how can you work within the confines of what has already been dealt because there's a conversation that does happen at one point between, I forget who it is, it's Fortuna and somebody, but where Fortuna's like, the end of the coven can mean many things. The end of the coven does not mean the end of your friends. It does not mean the end of like these communities because the coven is just, you know, one thing, but that doesn't mean that it ends everything good within it. And it was about interpretation, which is why I like the mini game because the or t the card dealing because the card dealing is so much about interpretation and slightly bending things as much as you can within what the cards say but functionally you are dealing with one very specific idea of what the coven means okay you can it can mean different things in that sort of broader context but you're making a lot of choices on like very specific the political direction of the coven and so knowing that you're going to sacrifice the coven means that those are like the things that are going mm -hmm. away yeah uh and so for me that made it kind of just like well what am i doing here and i guess it wasn't helped by the fact that the other problems with that part. yeah i think we can't escape this actually <laughs> I, don't, I don't know so, how else to so um, yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna say what i think which is that like overall and it will lead into this discussion is that the reason I chose the Cosmic Wheel for you to play is because I think that for two thirds of this game, it is a really beautiful game. It's doing a lot of incredibly fascinating stuff with the deck building. The characters are so beautifully written. I think it has a lot of interesting stuff to say about choice and like finding the freedom within these seemingly determined futures. And then the last third of the Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood is maybe the worst game I've played this year. And it derails everything this game is trying to do into one of the most grueling, annoying, terrible things ever. You told me beforehand that you like this thing of like the last third of the game you had a real problem with. And when I got to the like politics section i was convinced that there was another turn coming because i was like i can't i i simply do not believe that this is going to be what the rest of the game is about there must be another turn coming and what happens after that is what willa really hates so i was like shocked to realize how much of this game was that if you had said to me do you want to play a game about like 
running a political campaign in a world full of witches in space, I would have said, fuck yes, I do. But that wasn't what this game was supposed to be. Like, I heard nothing of that before I started playing this game. And so I think it's fine. I think that's it's fine to do that. I think there's plenty of room to like turn things on their head and like really surprise people with like what a game becomes structurally. But I think the problem is that the thing that it becomes is just like so deeply dull. Everything about the rest, like the conceit of the game, it just basically throws away the entire fortune. I mean, I guess the other the other twist to to reveal here, I guess, at this point is at a certain point, you find out that you aren't a fortune teller. Uh, they keep the way they phrase it is you're not you're not reading your writing mm-hmm. when you do one of these you know divination sessions you are actively changing what's going to happen and so that reveal I actually really liked because it put so much more weight on these readings yeah. and like at that point you started getting the chance to like turn people away like if they came and wanted a reading you could say like hey I don't feel comfortable doing that you could like reveal your secret or not and it became much more about like you making these active decisions and then. All of that is just stripped away as it becomes this like really shallow political simulator that like, I don't know. I don't, I I genuinely don't understand what. I don't get it. And it's so annoying to me. It's what the game becomes. It's so annoying to me because like, I was really, really liking this game and you get to, you get to a point where your two friends, what is it? Jasmine and Dahlia. Yeah, they are both like, so essentially, well, there's a there's a big plot point that happens that I also like, which is, again, one of these ideas that I think this game pulls off really well at times of like expectation and then subversion, which makes you question mm-hmm. your choices, which is that so much of what you're doing for so long is being like, I want revenge against against the coven leader like I fucking hate the coven leader and I want to try to get back at her somehow and then. Again, this kind of thing happens where a messenger shows up and the messenger's like, hey, by the way, the coven leader's dead. You never Mm -hmm. fucking like you don't meet her until this point. You get no catharsis. And it's just like everything you've been trying to do is almost worthless because the coven leader's dead. And then the great turn of that is that then the coven leader shows up in this like weird ghostly form. um, Uh It's like almost weird spirit form. And you have this huge conversation where it's essentially like. It's this is what I was alluding to when we were talking about the narrator in Slay the Princess is she's essentially like, let's lay all of our cards on the table. Let's talk about fucking everything. And then you're given the option to consistently like tell her fuck off and like, fuck Mm -hmm. you. I hate you. And it even encourages you. It's like, this is the last time you will ever see her. You have one last thing to say. Do you want to like do you want to say like, listen, outside of everything, thank you for what you've done or like blah, blah. Or you can just say, fuck you. Or do you want to like understand some deep mm-hmm. secret of, you know, the the cosmos mm-hmm. or do you want to tell her to go fuck yourself? And I said, yourself? go fuck yourself. <laughs> I did too. Um, and see, this is where I think that thing works about like knowing your, your sacrifice is like binding you to a choice. Because at this point you're like, oh fuck, like I just gave away so much and the person who I was so angry at and forced that choice on me is now dead. And like trying to understand how to like deal with this, this horrible covenant you've just made. I think that is really cool and powerful. It's only when you get into this like political sim that it starts to be like, well, why am I like concerned with any of this given the choices that I made? Why can I not just tell someone about it? Yeah, it becomes so interesting because at first I was intrigued by what was happening where 
they start alluding to the fact that they're going to have to hold an election for a new coven leader. And it becomes like, oh, Dahlia is going to run and Jasmine is going to run. And you were like all the closest friend group. And now it becomes a question of like, whose allegiance are you going to give? And the game even gives you an option when you're talking to them where they like lay out their plan for the coven. And you can say like, I will support you. Um, or not. And I, I thought this was going to lock me into like supporting one of my friends. So I, I said, I need some time. Um, Mm -hmm. and then what happens is like a character shows up who is your sister. You find out like your sister also became a witch and she shows up and she's like, Oh, so by the way, you're going to run. I think you should run. And then the game forces you to run. You get no choice not to, which I didn't love because then it devolves Mm -hmm. into this whole politics thing. Which again is like, you have to, you know, you're supposed to either talk to other people to gain allies or talk up your plan. And then it puts you on a timer where it's like you have 30 days till the election. This is all you're going to fucking do. So when I did that, like Jasmine came to me first and she was like, I want to run the coven. Da, da, da. And I was like, great, sign me up. I'll do that. And then Dahlia like immediately visited me and she was like, hey, here's my plan about how I'm going to run the coven. Do you want to join me? And I liked her plan better. So I was like, yes, I'll help you. And then Jasmine came back and was like, all right, I'm ready for us to work together. And I was just like, actually, I'm switching sides. I'm working with Dahlia. So it is kind of weird that it would lock you into running on your own if you turn them down at first, because you can accept and then change your mind. Because it did also give me like, when Patricia shows up or Patrice, what is her name? Patrice? Patrice. When she shows up and like offers you to run, it gave me the choice of saying, yeah, I'll run on my own or I'm going to stick with Dahlia. What did you choose? So yeah, so I stuck with Dahlia because at that point I was like, well, I don't really want to run the coven. And also I'm, I can't run the coven because of this deal. So I'm just going to do it for Dahlia because I like her plan. So wait, are you telling me that your entire election was just trying to run for with Dahlia? Yeah, I was like her, one of her like staffers. Interesting. <laughs> okay. I think it plays out the same. Like you do the I'm same sure stuff. It, uh, yeah, essentially plays out the same, which is that it's no longer about like reading cards, really. It's about building things. So there's something that is interesting here that happens, which... I hate all of the politic part. I think it was obviously not what this game should have been. And it's not what the good parts of this game are. There is something that you can do early on where you can do a reading. And at this point, you know that you write the future and you can do a reading into the election. Did did, mm-hmm. did this happen with you? Yes. And it essentially asks you, do you want to read and decide who the winner of the election is? And you can you can decide to do that reading or to not do that reading. Oh, really? I don't know if I, I don't think I did that, actually. So I, so I got this option where it's like, you can read into the future of the election. And that will, you know, because you write the future, you can essentially just lock it up for you. Huh. I did one that was like, uh, it was more about the outcome of your, like, what's going to happen between you and Dahlia and Jasmine? Like, yes, is this going to did like, drive you apart or not? I also did okay. that. Yeah, I don't think I did one about the outcome of the election. Okay, so I had this. And because it was like, I I essentially just read into it and I was like, yeah, I'm going to win. So then I spent (laughs) all 30 days just sleeping in my bed. (laughs) 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 Because I was like, this game, this game has told me that no matter what now, I'm going to win. And 
like I had seen kind of like where this politics was going and I was like this is horribly boring because you have to do yeah. like you have to do a few days of campaigning before I got this reading and I was like this is horrible and I do not want to do this for 30 in game days and so it gave me mm-hmm. that option I was like yeah I win and then I just slept until the election and did you win yes then? I did that's so frustrating I think like you were saying about the um like knowing the choice that you have your sacrifice being locked in thing is like I think the int- like some of the interesting ideas this game has is, are about like what do you do once fate has been decided like how do you play around the edges of fate how do you change things that are locked in and for it to then allow you to just like say well fate is fate and so I, if i even if i just go to bed it's not going to change anything i feel like that's kind of really going against one of the central themes of the Can game Can i ask what happened in your election then yeah i mean i just like did the whole thing uh-huh. like every it was really frustrating because like at first actually you have like all these things to do and you can tell people all these different jobs and whatever. And then after a while it gets to the point where there's like one person comes every couple days. So all I could do is like go talk to them, tell them to, you know, you have all these choices. You can tell them to go like tell people to vote for you or dig up dirt on the competition or challenge one of their political points or whatever and whatever you do it basically just shifts these little meters that tell you like what percentage of people are are voting for you and it just feels kind of arbitrary because like every turn like the other witches are doing that too so it's kind of just like just pick whatever and things will happen and yeah so the end in the end i dahlia was leading in the polls and so we went to that ending convocation where you like do the final thing. Before we talk about the ending convocation, there's one other consistent choice that I want to talk about, which is mm-hmm. that so you have conversations with a lot of people, obviously, like you talk to your friends. There's um, you talk to another witch who has also summoned a behemoth mm-hmm. who she's incredible. My girlfriend. Yeah, uh, she's incredible. You talk to your mentor at one point, but you talk to all these people and every time you talk to them and your sister, you're always, the game gives you this option. And like, I mean, I don't know because things are slightly different, but like the game always gives you the option to tell somebody that you summoned Abramar. And it's like this huge thing of like, are you going to admit that you did the worst thing possible? Did you ever tell anybody? I did. Yeah. I mean, I told Greth because she also summoned one and I was like, hey, listen, you're obviously cool with this. And also, uh, do you want to start sleeping over? Which she did. And then I did also tell Dahlia after a while, because part of her like political position was we should stop banning consorting with behemoths. Although <laughs> there is something really weird that happens too, where in that final debate, when you reveal to everyone that that you've been dealing with Abramar, Dahlia still gets really mad at you for doing that, even though well, yeah. her whole position is that that should be okay. So well, this is what I was going to talk about, is that I never told anybody, because I was like, I cannot mm-hmm. tell anybody. The only person I was actually going to tell was my mentor. But then she shows up and she's like, so how's that behemoth that you summoned? And you're yes, like, excuse that's, me? That's really cool. First off, the mentor is the best. She's the fucking best. The deer witch. Love her. Um, yeah. But like, no, exactly. What? It's just, there's something I'm very frustrated with, which you just brought up, which is like the entire election comes like to the head with this big convocation thing at the end, um, which is supposed to be like there's one last debate between all the candidates. And in the middle of it, 
so I, we have the experience of being able to, you know, think about my playthrough, your playthrough. And I also know about Zoe's playthrough. So I have three things that I can like compare. Um, No matter what you do, it gets revealed that you summoned Obermar. Yeah, I will say I did end up watching some other endings just on YouTube. Just first of all, to see what happened if someone does sacrifice the coven, because that's the choice that I thought that I made. And also just to see what variability there was there. So yeah, I do have more data points to add to this as well. Then am I correct? No matter what happens, Abramar is revealed like you summoned Abramar? Yeah, yeah, as far as I've seen. Which I did not love because it just kind of comes out uh-huh. of nowhere where I'm like, I worked so hard to not tell anybody about this. And then um, like, and that even goes to the point where this is something interesting between Zoe and mine is that Zoe told Patrice about mm-hmm. Abramar, which means that when Zoe was doing her political campaign, Abramar helped out because Patrice knew about him. So it was fine. But whereas mm, I yeah. never told Patrice because I didn't want to like, I didn't want anybody to know. So the entire political campaign, Abramar didn't help me because he had to stay hidden from my sister. Yeah, I didn't tell Patrice. I, I told Greth and she ended up like outing me I in know, that, yeah. that final thing. Um, yeah. But then the thing is that I don't like also is I, I'm really curious, how does the game's final election play out for you then? So for me, there's the thing where the uh, the witch senate or whatever it is that you're in gets like attacked. Mm-hmm. And so there's this thing that like when you're when you're in witch senate, time doesn't pass. So you're able to like spend all the time you need debating and whatever. And so at a certain point, the witch senate is attacked by the witch cops because they think your your coven's going to become too powerful and the entire coven is like burning alive for like as long as the rest of the election takes. So everyone kind of just starts yelling at each other to like reach an agreement and it just becomes a series of like you just kind of have dialogue options that will like continue moving those meters of like who people are going to vote for. Yeah, and then eventually it ended up being like we voted for Dahlia, we like I had like dug up a bunch of dirt on Jasmine that I could use to like hurt her position while like strengthening what we had to say. And then, yeah, like once Abermar was revealed, like everybody got really mad at me, including Dahlia. (laughs) And then eventually, yeah, it just ended up everybody cast their votes and Dahlia won. And that kind of ends. All of your sisters die and you end up um, like having to seal the pact with Abermar, but you also get to make one final reading of like kind of the future of what is it? There's the future of your like you and your friends. Mm -hmm. There's the nature of magic in the cosmos, Mm -hmm. and there's what happens to the coven. I think. I think so. I don't quite remember the last one. And then you choose those, and then the game Mm -hmm. ends. So this is kind of interesting as a comparison because you like worked with Dahlia. But Mm -hmm. so for me, since I was my own party and I was like my own candidate, essentially what happens is very similar. The second that the like witch Senate gets blown up and you're stuck in stasis, they all go into argument and then they just all vote for me and they all voted for me and I win. And this happened for Zoe too. No matter what she did, everybody just votes for her. And like, I thought mine was really interesting Mm. because I literally did nothing because I just slept, which... (laughs) And the, we like her sleepy energy. Yeah, and it's this thing of um, which I think is the culmination of why I hate the political element that this game goes into in the back third is that 
Like I have no illusions that there's complete free choice in this game. Like even if you're reading these, like you're given slightly different options of what you can read in two cards, there's only a handful of options you ever get across mm-hmm. any playthrough. But there's this illusion of choice and freedom that does feel like the game is encouraging you that like your choices do matter. And like the cards, the way you read into the future will have an effect. And then the last third, I think, throws that all away. Because what I have discovered is that no matter how hard you work or how little you work, Fortuna or whoever she is allied with will win. Well, is that necessarily true, though? Because if you predicted that you would win, maybe that just overrules everything. Because for me, by the numbers, Dahlia was winning. Like, I, you know, I was like trying to get her to win. Did you see any ending where somebody lost the election? Ooh, I don't, I'm not sure. I was watching mostly like the, Uh the like, after that okay. endings because as far as i'm sure you, i am aware huh. you cannot lose the election interesting i feel like that can't be true that seems crazy yes but so does making this game po- politics in the I back mean, third yeah that's true turning it into like with the witch president simulator i mean you know maybe you are right because then at the end everyone has to kind of come to consensus yeah because when I got to the end, it ended up being like 100% was voting for Dahlia. That's the thing, is that no matter what happens, everybody is 100% in on the same candidate. And it's whichever person Fortuna is with, as far as I can tell. Yeah, Which, that might actually be true. again, invalidates any ideas this game has about choice and free will and making your choices. Interesting. There's something that I dislike even more that the game pulls off right at the very end, which is at the very end of the game, after this election happens, you, the like final seal, the fire seal is like finally redeemed by Abramar. It's like the final cost. And that's the, you know, that decision that you made at the very beginning, which for me was Mm -hmm. immortality. And there's this there's this thing that happens with the dialogue that I really, really disliked, which, as I've said, the way I played Fortuna was she knowingly made this deal where she was like, I know the cost. I understand the cost. I'm playing this whole game, expecting and knowing and like being ready that this cost is going to come and I will willingly have to pay it because that's just Mm -hmm. how a deal works. And then. At the very end, Abramar comes to collect and you're given options. And I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah, that's what we agreed on. Take it. But then the dialogue comes out and it's like, oh, okay. If there's no other way. And he's like, stop complaining. You have to pay the price. She's like, oh, well, I'll hate you forever now. And I was like, yes. and I was like, no, stop. This is never what I said. Like I knew from the very beginning that I would have to pay a price. And that's how I played it. And then the game doesn't let you just like act like that at the end. Yeah, the same. Yeah, I had the same thing mm-hmm. happen. And I was like, why can I only hate this guy who's doing the thing I asked him to do? Yeah, I, I think it is in, in an interesting contrast to the ending of Slay the Princess, where the thing that I, you know, we kind of both accepted is that like death is a natural part of life and like it's just part of the, you know, part of the wheel, right? And then in this game, it expects you, it it makes you view that as a negative thing. Mm-hmm. Like the end, so the ending that you get, like if you sacrifice your mortality is like you go back to 
your old life and eventually you you die as a human, as a mortal. But there's no way in that conversation for you to like be okay with that. Like you have to suddenly regret this choice that you made willingly, even though there were other options that you could have made if this was going to be such a big deal for you. Like it, it's so strange to like force that that reading of it on you you know yeah and the thing i dislike more is that like looking into the options of how you can end this game is there are good endings quote unquote like Mm -hmm. the the best ending where like everything works out perfectly for you and the only way to do that is to be the most selfish person you can be and then yes and then in the end basically argue against Abramar continuously and be like, no, I will not let you take this price from me. I don't care that I agreed. I don't care that this is what I'm going back on my deal. And you can basically ignore it and get a good ending. And I hate that in the game that is supposed to be about acknowledging these futures and acknowledging that like things will come and happen, that you can just, if you're like, if you're stubborn enough, if you're stubborn enough, you can just break fate because you just don't want it. And I hate yeah. that. And this is one of the instances of a game having a quote unquote best ending and it feeling so antithetical to the point of the game. Yeah. I mean, I think what's most frustrating for me about that is like, like you said, you have to do the selfish things. As far as I know, the only way to get those, there's a big choice of, with your your dead coven leader do you want to have the coven like devour her power to like grow more power for themselves or to disperse that into the universe to create more witches but you can also make the choice to devour her yourself to gain all of her power and as far as i know that's the only way to get those endings because you need to fight against abramar to do it which is i don't know it just seems like I think if the game were interested in like exploring that story about like the only way to secure this future is through like force and like being essentially a totalitarian, there's an there's an interesting story to be told there. But that's not the story that's been told this whole time. Like it's been much more about like cooperation and like the the sisterhood, you know. And it just doesn't it just doesn't really land for me that that's the only way you can secure that future. Also, I, I feel like that's kind of a theme of this game for me is having a lot of interesting avenues to explore with with these kind of bigger ideas and never really, none of them really landed for mm-hmm. me. So I think my my very ending was like, you know, you, you lose your immortality, you go back to, to Earth and live like as a human or whatever. And there's like a final reading you can do like when it comes time, I don't know if it's like when it comes time to die, but there's like a final reading you can do. And it's about like, uh, you know, how you feel about how everything shook out, basically, like how you want to live out the rest of your life. And the two choices you get are basically you get a letter from that, the head of the coven that says, uh, are you satisfied with your fate? And the only two options you're able to draw are This is bullshit. I will never learn to live with this. I will be miserable if I don't try again. After I go to sleep, time will restart and I will get to fix everything. And that's the option that like resets things. And the other option is there will always be things in life that escape our control. We cannot fight them all, but we can mourn, remember, learn, share, and accept. 
And you can choose that. And that's like the accept your fate ending, which is what I chose. But there's just like so much I feel like about this game that like rejects that idea. And I think that's also fine. Like if this was a game about saying like, never accept fate and always fight against it. Da, da, da. But but I feel like it doesn't it doesn't tell a complete story of either of those things. Like it doesn't it doesn't finish that idea. And I feel like it is the same way with a lot of different aspects of what's in the narrative. Like it brings up a lot of ideas and then just kind of lets them sort of melt away. Yeah. There are a couple things that as I feel like we're wrapping up this conversation, there are a couple things that I also wanted to like bring back attention to. So one aspect of the game that is also there are these flashbacks that happen um, in between every chapter where it shows you Fortuna's life as a human, like leading up to, and some, some, some of the flashbacks are her as a witch before getting imprisoned, um, which show you like her life with Jasmine and Dahlia. And I, I really like these flashbacks. I think they were interesting. I think it really shows how good the writing in this game is. There's one flashback that I absolutely despise and should not be in this game. Can you guess which one it is? No. It's the one that's not about Fortuna. Okay, then yes. <laughs> there are there all these flashbacks are about Fortuna, but then there's one that's not. And like, listen, not to be not to hate trans people. <laughs> But this character, <laughs> girl mode problematic. Girl mode problematic. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did want to talk about this. There character is a character in the game who I have so many problems with, and I really want to talk about. This was like when I got this character, I was like, "This is when I got excited to talk about she this game." Is with you. a trans witch, and what happens is you get a letter from I think it's Dahlia or it's somebody, and she's like, "Hey, I have a friend. She's a new witch. She's like trying to figure her life out. It's really, it's like really a struggle for her. She just." like awoken as a witch and she shows mm -hmm. up and it's a big like shock because they keep saying it's a witch and her because only like witches are only women she shows up and it's just a fucking guy well she you know she's very masculine yes she's, yeah but it's that's the that's the thing is like this is it's like supposed to be like oh this is surprising but then it goes into this conversation of like obviously you are a woman you are a witch like this is who you are the first thing i didn't like was that just from the narrative of the game and how it tells its story that this is the only other character that you get a flashback sequence of. And it's not necessary. Like you could have cut out the flashback mm. sequence and everything about this character that we need to know is still communicated. She is like, we learn everything about her. It also drawing more attention to her by giving her a flashback when the only other character who gets flashbacks is Fortuna feels unnecessary. And I don't like it. And the flashback is like her just being miserable. <laughs> it's like she's riding an elevator up to her apartment and is like just talking about how miserable she is. It's her birthday and she's like so glad that no one is going to celebrate with her because she just is sad and wants to go home and play video games and like hints at like wanting to kill herself. And I don't know, man. It's just it's always a bummer when like the only... uh just seeing this glimpse of her life as like this miserable person. I mean, it's when she's pre-transitioned. So like, it does make sense. Yeah. Like, fuck, I get it, you know, like, but it's just kind of, it. you're right. Like it is by singling her out in that way, it does like other her, I feel. We get everything um, we need to know about other characters and their entire history and life and the struggles they go through without having to see flashbacks of them. And then again, another yeah. thing that I hate about this character is that she is the most malleable character. She is not 
to me, she is not a character in her own right, like every other witch you meet is, who Mm -hmm. has their own goals, their own history, their own motivations. She is a blank slate for you to mold. And because like basically what happens is she comes and she's struggling with like, I don't know what kind of witch I want to be. I don't know who I am. And so you give her a reading and you give her advice on like what kind of witch she will be or should become. And then it does something, which is one of my most hated things in any media that has trans people in it. You choose her name. And this made me scream. It's weird. It's weird. And I hated it so much because I'm like, if this is supposed to be a trans character that you're giving, like, she is finally getting her own, like, ability to control her life. And it just kind of says, she's too afraid of making decisions. We're going to use this magical shortcut and I'm going to give you a name. Yeah, I'm going (laughs) to give you a name. I'm going to tell you what kind of witch you are. Like, she doesn't even have, like, enough of a character to, like, know what she wants to do. Which, you know, and again, like in this universe, like maybe this is normal, but again, it's like the only version of this we've seen. And it's like very tied up in her being trans and her being like too afraid and too insecure to like say anything about. One thing I did like about this sequence is like when you're talking about her appearance and she is like, she's nervous to say what she wants to look Mm -hmm. like. Uh, and at one point she says something like, I, you know, you can choose, like, make me look sexy. And you're like, very, she's very reticent about that. That reads very true to me yeah. of like that fear of even saying that you want to look a certain way is feels very real to me. But it, it does suck that it ends up being like she, someone else has to get it out of and her. And then it does this thing again, which like is something we were just joking about, which is like, it literally does this thing where I wish in, the society that it portrays in Cosmic Wheel is like this very forward thinking, very like socially liberal, open society that seemingly is so chill with trans witches and is very used to them. And then they see her and she's very masculine presenting and the game isn't willing to commit to saying like, and that's cool in this society and we're just going to let it fly. It literally does the joke of essentially being like, you know, maybe you don't want to go through the work of transitioning because that's hard because it takes so long. But if you could like press a magic button that turns you into a real woman, would you do it? And they (laughs) do that because then Fortuna is able to just like wave her fucking hand with magic and turn her into just like a hot lady, very traditionally. And it's yeah. And like, I, I get it. You know what I mean? I get it. If someone could wave a fucking wand and give me FFS, I would do it, you know? But it's just like, but this is a fictional character. And I feel like if you're going to portray this trans person, well, you have a you have a chance to say, this is a trans woman who's very comfortable with her body. And this is a trans woman who doesn't need to look, you know, typically feminine to feel good about herself. There's no reason you have to give her the same kind of insecurities that often plague us. You have the opportunity to make her very open about her own her own body and her her not being very traditionally feminine. I think it's even okay to have her have incredible insecurities over it because she just awoke to being a witch. She's been in human society. Sure. But I think it would be very interesting for her to come like to the witch society having these insecurities and for everybody around her to be like, hey, we get it. We know you're insecure, yeah, but yes. like, listen, you are not in that world now. Like you are unequivocally accepted for who you are and you can take your f- time. 
Yeah, for them, yeah, like that magic has not been able to conquer transphobia enough that people are like okay with seeing a mask presenting yeah. trans woman. Like you still have to pass, even if you're, you know, in this magical society full of demons and witches yeah. and shit. I will say the other thing about her that like really irked me, and I don't think this is like necessarily, I don't know, as as bad or whatever, but so you meet her before she has come out. Like she presumably dies like you know still like questioning or whatever and like it is not like transitioned there's a thing in the sort of world of cosmic wheel sisterhood that only women can become witches and she shows up and you know you as fortuna are like she's very mass presenting but you know instantly you start using she her pronouns you know she's a woman because only women can become witches and it does this thing that is like you know, she's kind of confused. She's like, well, why, like, why do I get to be here? Cause I, you know, if I'm not a woman and it does this thing that's like, well, the universe recognized that you are actually a woman. And I think if she had been an out trans woman, like that's perfectly fine, but she's still not aware of that as her identity and so it feels like maybe i don't know not gender essentialist but it's it's the it's the problem that i've always had with the um like born this way narratives you know the idea of for very understandable reasons people say like when they're they're facing transphobia or homophobia or whatever they say well i was just born this way this is not uh, a choice that we made, which is often something that's said in response to someone saying that this is a sinful choice or whatever. But there's this thing that people often say as a defense that's like, this is who I am and I can't change it and you just have to accept me because it's how I am. And I've always had a problem with that because it seems like the, the premise of that argument is if this were a choice, it would be okay to be bigoted against me. And I just I just don't buy into that. I think it's fine if it's a choice. Like, I think there's a lot of power in that. I did choose to be a woman. I chose to transition. I chose to change my name and do all the fucking shit that I needed to. I chose to do all of these hard things because I know what it's right for me. And for me, when I see something, it's just like, well, the universe knew you were actually a woman. It's not a choice that you made. It's just, it's just who you always were. That just doesn't, it just doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't like, I don't think it's necessarily harmful. Like I'm sure there are people who feel that way about themselves, but for me, it just doesn't ring true. I think the more powerful thing to say there is you made a choice and now you are a woman and that's why you're welcome here. Not because of some innate thing in you. Like, I think the worst thing you can say about to a trans person is like, there's something innate in you that defines who you are. Like the entire exercise here is, is denying Mm -hmm. that. Uh, and so whenever I, I just have such an allergy to that kind of shit, because it's like, just as the rest of these steps do, it's taking away agency from this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I knew we'd have a lot to say on this character. Yeah. Well, yeah. When I got to her, I was just like, the, oh, so the only, now we have to talk about this. Yeah, the only other thing I have to talk about <laughs> is that, um, so Fortuna, Fortuna and Abramar, uh, they're in love, right? Yes. They're so in love. Yes. Okay, I'm just glad we're on the same page. There's yeah. That's just a love story about them. And it's I know, a doomed yeah, love I think story, that's also what, but I love it. It is. 
Yeah, I feel like that's what also makes that end so disappointing. Is I was like, I don't want to be mad at him. Look at him. He's so I cute. Was so, this cute little worm demon. There were so many things that were weird about it. Because we had, like, you get to talk to Abramar about this. And he's like, listen, you're going to hate me. And I was like, mm-hmm. I won't. I know what I did. This was on me. Like, you didn't force me into anything. Like, I would never. And there's this great... Yeah, I'm a big girl. There's also this idea that I really love where in a story that... There's so many things I really love about this game. Oh, it's so sad. Um, But that's what's so frustrating is like there are so many things that are like if you had just gone all the way, they would be so interesting. There's so much that this game is always talking about of like, in a way, the future is determined and the future will happen. But at its best, the game is also like, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't fight for it and you shouldn't like work towards things. And also it's a game that tells you like, you know, the future will come no matter what, just like you need to value the present and you need to value these things you mm-hmm. have now. Like um, there are a couple interesting things that happen in mine, whereas like I value Jasmine and Dahlia's relationship a lot, but I knew by the end because it happened in a card reading that we would come out of this no longer friends, you know, maybe in the context of words that I may have written on this topic. Maybe this makes a lot of sense, but uh, go read Start Menu uh, for more. But I had this outlook on it where I was like, I can value this friendship for what it is now and know that I will it will be lost, but that doesn't invalidate this moment now. And I felt that same way where there's this really, really beautiful moment with Abramar. And it's when you're writing Abramar on the way to the final election and you have this conversation and I screenshotted it because I thought it was beautiful. And it's just Fortuna talking to him. And she says, I may hate you in the future, but in this specific moment alone among the stars, I love you. Yeah. I thought that was really touching. I ship it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's because, yeah, they have like, they started this like transactional relationship and then like learned to love each other through that, like, I think is like such an interesting thing that could have been explored. And then it would have been, I think it would have made it so much more potent at the end then too, that like he is forced by the rules of like magical physics to extract this price from her. I feel like it's, it robs it of some of its power for you to be like, well, fuck you for doing this thing that I, I fully to. agree. Do you have anything else to say? I don't know. I really wish I I really want to know what this would have what game what this game would have been if it didn't take that Mm -hmm. turn at the end. I agree. Like if it had seen through its premise, I'm really fascinated to see what game that is. You know, there's something very funny that happened when we were playing this game, which is that Zoe's actually the first person out of all of us who finished this game and played this game. Mm -hmm. And what happened is she played it and then she told me, you're going to play this game and you're going to reach a point and you're going to hate this game. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I played the game and I figured out everything that we just talked about. And then I told you, you're going to play this game wow. and you're going to get to a point and you're going to hate this game. So did you determine the future? Did you set oh. this fate in motion? <laughs> no, really, it's Zoe's fault. That's yeah. true. Like, blame like everything. I'm yeah, kidding. I mean, come on. One I love you, Zoe. <laughs> Robin's going to cut that and it's just going to be like, I don't say that. And it's going to make me look like the biggest bitch. There have been so many times over the course of this show when you've had to say, I'm kidding. I love you, Zoe. (laughs) 
But this kind of does come to something that I was thinking overall. This is like an overall takeaway I've had from this year that I kind of want to talk about now, which is that this is what happened when I was choosing this game is that I was trying to think about all the games that I played this year. And what should I make, what should I have you play so we can talk about it? And last year, like we've mentioned, it kind of felt so cut and dry. But like this Mm -hmm. year, there was something wild, which it was like, I could not pick a single game that I felt was fully represented like an incredible experience because, and that is almost why I chose Cosmic Wheel at the end, because Cosmic Wheel is like 70% really interesting and I think does incredible work. And then 30% at the end, which then kind of retroactively makes the whole experience feel robbed of a lot of meaning and it doesn't meet its full expectations. And for me, when I think about so many games I've played this year, I feel so similarly, like so Mm -hmm. many games I played that have like really interesting premises or do something really unique and new or tell an incredible story and they go 70% of the way or 80% of the way or 90% of the way, but they can't get that last percent. And then they do something and it just kind of falls apart and it betrays its own premise. And I don't know. And I mean, frankly, that's why that's how I felt with Slay the Princess a little bit. And I know you feel differently like there there are problems with it you have a little bit but like my thing was that similar to slay the princess i felt like we're not too similar but like the last conceit of slay the princess at the end the like big things of the mound and everything i was like you lost me i think you dropped the ball (laughs) at the last minute and with cosmic wheel i feel that way and there's like a bunch of games that i can name but i don't feel like being too mean to them and like looping them in right now but it's like but there are so many games that i'm just like I want to love you so much more than I can. I mean, I will say like Slay the Princess is like not on the level of Stephanie for me, like which I picked last, you know, the my my appreciation of this game. I I, I don't agree that like I, I think that it does nail the the premise and all. I don't think it has the problem that Cosmic Wheel does, but it's just it didn't nothing this year hit me nearly as hard as Citizen Sleeper or Stephanie or for that matter, Signalis did last year. And I think, yeah, that did make this like a a somewhat different exercise where it's less like here, I brought you this beautiful, perfect gift and more like, I think these will be interesting things to discuss. Like that kind of became more of the criteria because there were other games that I could have brought to this that I liked, like Jusant, Sea Salt Chronicles, or Salt Sea Chronicles both come to mind. But I felt like this would be the one that would kind of engender the best conversation, which I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's the theme of of the games this year of like, is like, Games that like have a lot to say and might not quite make it, but like are very interesting to discuss, even if playing them wasn't like the perfect experience we wanted them to be. Yeah. Except for uh, Citizen Sleeper Purge, but that felt like cheating if hey, we both hey, needed to play that. You're spoiling our girlies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. But yeah. We did it though. I'm, I, I continue to love this exercise though. I do too. Yeah. I like, yeah, I like that we can look at things in this much detail. Uh, I, I feel like there is a difference, like looking at a game, like critically, because you know you want to write about it or whatever, and looking at it that way because you know you want to talk about mm-hmm. it, especially putting two games in conversation. I feel like it didn't really happen that much this year, but it is interesting the way that they start to influence each other. Maybe next year we'll find <laughs> perfect, beautiful games again. God willing. <laughs> Yeah, with that, do you have anything uh, you want to talk about that you've been doing this week besides, or do we want to just? 
I'll just I'll just say and not go into any detail. I've been trying to keep making use of my free Crunchyroll trial. So I watched a couple episodes of Flying Witch, which is great, cozy little anime. I watched the last episode I watched is where the like dog girl shows up. And I've also been watching uh, Licorice Recoil, which I didn't know you were watching I the show. Love. Oh my god, the show whips so the much show's ass. Fucking incredible. I started. I started putting it on just like if I was like working out or just working or just like doing something and wanted something like on in the background because I knew it was more like action oriented. I like it way more than I expected to. I think I'm going to actually like sit down and like watch it again, like watch it for real. Love the show. Love the characters. Love the animation. Love the music. The show is fucking great. Uh, I'm so surprised by it. Um, and yeah, we've been talking for two and a half hours, so that's all I'm going to say. But how about you? For me, the thing that I'm going to shout out, this is kind of like a cheat. I haven't really been doing much. Oh, actually, no, I I know what I am going to shout out. Okay. Last <laughs> night, I went over to your friend's place and we watched White Christmas, which... Did you say you went over to my friend's place? I went over to a friend's place. <laughs> oh, I thought you said I went over to your friend's place. It's like, I don't... <laughs> I don't know if that's true. <laughs> um, but last night, went over to a friend's place and we watched White Christmas, which um, I grew up celebrating Christmas. So grew up watching so many Christmas movies and I love musicals. Uh, White Christmas is probably my favorite holiday movie to watch. And it's so gorgeous. It's just this, it's Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, um, Vera Ellen, Rosemary Clooney. It's this gorgeous 50s musical, stunning technicolor, great just like dances and fun songs. I love this movie. Um, if you like Christmas movies or I don't know, there there is snow and stuff. If you just want like something holiday related for the winter, uh, you should check it out. I was so shocked to find out that my friends had never seen it. Mm just because it felt like something I always watch. But yeah, uh, if you're interested, you should check it out. It's a really cool movie and it just looks beautiful. Hell yeah. Uh, and I guess that's the end uh, of what has now become... This is, we can't Once keep again, doing set the this. record for the longest episode of Girl. doing this. I think we can. Let's go for a three-hour <sighs> oh, girlies. Um, which, speaking of which, you can still send us questions up until... Uh, probably Friday. So you probably have like two days to send us questions at this point. Uh, if you are not, you know, categories for the girlies, uh, you can do that by emailing girlmodpod at gmail.com or you can ask us on co-host. Uh, you can also follow us on any social media at some variation of girlmodpod. We'll put links in the show notes and you can follow me at Robin Bob. And I'm on socials at the Willow Row. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Everybody get your fanciest outfits ready for the girlies. They're coming back and better forever. Better than ever. I think I should better forever. I think I should dress up when we do our call for I think we should both dress up and we should try to get at least two Muppets. Yeah. Is this gonna be the episode where I'm drunk? I mean, only you can make that decision. The your your own fate is in your hands. Right. Um go play Cosmic Wheel, Sisterhood, and Slay the Princess, despite what mean things we said about them at sometimes. Yeah, you might like them. You might be nicer than us. Okay. See you next week. (laughs) That reminds me, I did want to ask you, did you have a favorite princess? I mean... (laughs) What is it? What is the one that's... um... The one that's essentially like, you must submit to me. Like, do you want to submit to me?
Which one is that? Uh, I think that would be, let's see, I have a list. Which one is that? She's like the... Is that the tower? The big one? <laughs> the, the big one. Uh, this one is dominance. A figure dominance. capable of bending everything to her will. She will make for a terrifying and divine heart. Do not mourn her, for she would not be able to mourn you. You literally show up and she's very quickly like, I am in charge. Will you kneel before me? And just without question, I was like, yeah. Yeah, cool. She uh-huh. was my favorite. Shocker. Yeah. What about you? Surprising. My favorite was, unsurprisingly, this one. Oh, okay. Uh, she's called the witch. She's the one who uh, has like fangs and a tail. I'm surprised neither. And wears like a wears like a crown of of twigs in her hair. Uh, I saw her and was just like, "Yep, that's my type." 